Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Um, we continue with a series and jump into a series. And if you just arrived here tonight, you are at the very last session, the fifth week of a series called This Is What We Do. Um, it's, it's a series where actually we talk about what are the values that when we look at the Father, who is the Father, and because of who the Father is, we get pulled into a story that is about what who He is, but we get on with it. And at the core of this series, we recognize and look at the Bible and we say, actually, one of the aspects of who God is, is this unbelievably generous and kind Father. And He pulls us into a story that is bigger than our own. He pulls into a story where He gets glorified and, and we just do what we do. There's a family. Edwin speaks about this is what we do. Someone came to the link course and, and Jenny put on a spread. I mean, when I say a spread, it was incredible. Bread and butter pudding made with croissants. You're killing me. It's not helping this. It's a problem. I need to lose 7 kgs to get my BMI points from Discovery. It's a challenge. Croissants don't help. Anyway, that's got nothing to do. And, and we've used examples. Just this is what we do. For my wife and I, this is what we do. That has been a case of going to gym, revved up, ready, swipe the card, walk around the desk and walk out. This is what we do. We get our Discovery points by swiping our card. That's what we do. They call my wife the Discovery Girl. It's a challenge, but we're going to change that this summer. We're going to change it. But there's this process of God pulls us into his story. It's not about our story. And who God is, when we look at the Bible and we read about the meta-narrative of the gospel, we see a father who's unbelievably generous, and he says, my children, I want you to be like me. And he pulls us into his story, which is a big story. At the center of the gospel is this truth, this word yasa, which means a spacious place. God doesn't pull us into the gospel to come into a smallish place. He doesn't take the boundary stones of, of our lives and bring them. He takes them and extends them out. And he says, actually, and, and Proverbs 11 speaks about this. He says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. It's quite a challenge. I want my world to get bigger. I want my life to have greater influence. I want Jesus to be known and made famous through my life in bigger and more and more ways. And one of the ways the Bible presents that is the gospel that pulls us into a generous big story. Even some of those ladies you saw and, and gents who serve the kids, and there's about 40 of them in the morning here. It's, they're making decisions. Some of them love children. That's part of it. Some of them just want to serve and just want to serve little children and invest in their lives generously so that the kingdom of God can come. And God pulls us into the story, and central to this series is, is that actually when we look at God's system, it's completely different to ours. Yeah. Maybe we can put up that one slide of the two different systems. The one is this system that the world buys into. It's a consumer-survivor system where we consume. We consume both the bread. 2 Corinthians 9 speaks about we are given bread and seed. We consume both the bread and the seed. The problem is these days everyone's eating seeds. It's a challenge. Don't eat seeds. I tell my wife all the time, keep the seeds out. Anyway, that's a whole other point. But, um, but we eat both the bread and the seeds. And then what happens? We lack. We lack because there's no seed in the soil. There's no harvest coming. We lack. And then what happens is we kick into fear. And fear starts driving our cycles and starts driving our demands and our consumer realities. And the Bible says, actually, God doesn't want that tension in our lives. It's, not, it's the picture of the, the tug of war rope. We don't live with this tug of war in our rope in our lives. The word of God comes on our life and snaps that tension. And God says, I'm going to pull you into a system that looks completely different. 
a sonship cycle in our lives that brings freedom and life and brings us into a spacious place. And it starts like this. We become like God. And now, well, another way of saying that is we give. Time, talents, treasures, we give. You know what the saddest thing for me? When I sit with people who, who might have days, weeks, months to live, is when they make statements like, I wish I had loved this person more. I wish I'd given more time to these people. I wish I'd given less time to this in my life. It's, I don't want those regrets. I want to get to the end of my days going, yeah, I spent my life well. I want to give my life away. Why? Because my Savior did that. And he pulls us into his story. And when we kick into that story, what happens? God begins to reveal himself as the God who multiplies. And then our faith grows, and the story becomes easier, and we become stronger as sons. God wants to pull us into this story, and he's been dealing with that as we've looked at this amazing truth that God is a generous father who pulls us into his generosity. And then there's this thing of money that just happens to be a big thing for us. Jesus speaks 2,500 verses about money. So Lot speaks 500 on prayer. It's radical. So he wants us to get this and understand this dynamic. And as we've stepped into this, maybe we can jump onto sowing in summer. As part of our summer sowing, we're saying we actually want to invest beyond ourselves. And part of it is we've been preaching the gospel and we've been preaching the reality. And we want to give people an opportunity to step into a place and a space of generosity. It's kind of, Mark, you're preaching all the stuff. I want to step. I want to be a part of it. Well, yes, get the orders and the systems in your life. But let's step beyond that into the more and the multiply. Sowing in summer is we are giving people an opportunity to give, and here's the reality. It's not going into anything that runs this church. Yeah. It's not going to any keeping on the lights or fixing the leaking pipe outside or paying for fancy two-ply toilet paper that you enjoy. It's not paying for that. It's not paying for that. It's not going to salaries or staff or anything. We are wanting to, to give an opportunity over these next weeks for people to give and partner in these areas. Advancement of the kingdom, which will look like church plants and, and NPO initiatives that drive into social justice and life. We want to give opportunity for that. It'll look like giving to the poor, both in our midst and outside of our midst, and engaging with that and sowing well beyond our borders. None of this finance will be used for anything that runs this church. That's our commitment to you. And uh, we would ask that you would process and go to God and say, God, actually, I want to be a part of a sewing story. I think if you can just pop the next scripture, which is so key for me. No, not that, sorry. We're not going to do that one. No, next one. Anyway, there's this amazing, uh, the Psalm 78, what is it? 70, 86, 76. Anyone got 77? Um, and, but it's, it's, we get it, and God pulls us, and it's this amazing promise that the generation to come might know God's praiseworthy acts that the children still to be born might arise and recount them to their children. I want to put seed in the soil today with my time, energy, and my finances so that the kingdom and the children that are still to be born would hear the name of Jesus and praise him. Why? Because a faithful people put acts of faith in the ground and worship Jesus. And we want to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God extending in areas close to us and across the world and partnering in that. And here's the amazing thing. It's really easy to call the church to give when they're giving to themselves. Let's do a, let's do a fundraising because we're going to put aircon in and we're going to put nice fancy seats. Yes, I want to do that and I want to put five plaques across the back of the chairs. This chair was sponsored by, if you've been a part of that, be free, but it's not my thing. I love giving where we're not at the center of it. I think the beauty of giving into the kingdom of yeah. God is actually it's got nothing to do with us. Yeah. And we don't even know where it lands sometimes, but we're sowing seed because there's a king on his throne. Good. And uh, 
that's what we're calling the church to over these next weeks. Please pray about it. Be a part of it. If you want to give, you can give through EFTs, but please detail their sowing in summer 2017 so that we are aware that it's specifically for that and we'll make sure every cent of it goes to the areas that we want to see benefit from that. Is that all right? Yeah. Is that exciting? Yeah. I trust that's exciting and it's exciting for me. And I'm not going to preach long tonight. I will preach for 15 minutes. Some of you are like, never, <laughs> never. Miracle. Well, it is. And we're speaking about the multiplier effect. I, I love that story of the Kutzer family because there's a miracle working God at work. And sometimes he will rejuvenate a kidney, and I totally believe God will do that. And sometimes he'll speak to someone on their moments of quiet intimately and call them to be a part of the faith story. I want to be a part of miraculous stories. I want to be a part of it. And there's this amazing story in Luke 9 that I want to read and make a few points. Actually, I'm not going to read because most of you know about it, and I'm going to process it as we go. But what happens in Luke 9, Ron? Just just testing you, you failed. Um, In Luke 9... Jesus is ministering, he's on a road, and he gets, he's on a journey, he says to the disciples, let's go to a place, Bethsaida, and at this place we're going to rest up, but this is Jesus, he's the king of kings, he's walking the earth, he's the greatest preacher the world's ever known, so what happens? People start coming, and they come, and they come, and he's giving it, nine o'clock in the morning, the preaching's going good, the disciples are like, this is all good, we got all day, we'll be here all day, come one o'clock, they're like getting a little worried, bit hungry, people need food, Jesus, but keep going, you're doing well. Come four o'clock, five o'clock, they're going, there's no spa down the road. There's no McDonald's open. Actually, Jesus, we've got to send these guys away. It's like a normal response. And I want to take some of the one-liners from the story. If you haven't read the full story, please go read Luke 9. But in interest of 15 minutes, I'm going to jump straight into some points. Is that all right? The first point is this. It's not about us. That's pretty much my first point in every preach I ever do. But it says this in verse 10, the disciples come back to Jesus and it says this, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. It seems like a normal thing. We get so good and focused on what we have done. This is Jesus, the miracle worker. They've gone out, done a few little cool stuff in Jesus' name, and they come back to us, Jesus, you should have seen me. My boy played soccer for the first time yesterday uh, uh, on Thursday. He's been at a rugby school, but he's had a burning desire to play soccer. So I take him to soccer, and I ask him afterwards, hey, how did it go, bud? He says to me, actually, Dad, I think I was the best there. (laughs) So humility is a process. But we're good at talking. He says, hey, Dad, I skilled this one guy, and I sidestepped this other guy. He tells me the whole story. We're really good at thinking about what we've done. And actually, we see this, and the reality is, the Bible says everything that you have, your giftings, your talents, your time, the breath inside of your lungs is not yours. You have a master. A steward would look after a whole household, but he was a slave. And a slave would be the master of a household, but he was never the ultimate master. There was always a master who was in control, and yet he had this authority to lead a household. God says, in your life, you're a steward. It's not, oh, 5% or 10% or 20%. No, 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 every percent. Every bit of energy, every bit of gifting you've ever been gifted, that you one unique thing that you're the only person in Cape Town who can do it, God gave you that. And your job is to steward it well. So one day when we stand before the king, our father and master, God says, actually, what did I give you, son? Oh, yes, I gave you that. What did you do with it? Oh, I really like the finer things, God. 
No, I don't think that answer is going to hold up a lot. Does it mean we're not allowed to find things? Not at all. But there's a stewardship responsibility that we are called to, and as we step into that, we are stepping into something of the supernatural. The challenge with the disciples is they were missing the supernatural that was on their foot doorstep. Why? Because they were so obsessed with what they had done. The first step into being a part of a miraculous story like this one is taking your eyes of what you've done. Oh, but, but I work really hard. I really deserve to earn a lot of money. And I'm saying, yeah, but let me tell you about 1 Peter 4 where the, the apostle speaking says, good, we are good stewards of varied grace. I honestly believe churches, God has designed it that churches would be full of people who are on the breadline and people earning millions. And puts them together because there is varied grace. And he says, I want you to work it out. And when you get that thing working well, it's called a sign and wonder to the world around you. Why are we calling the church to give to the poor and to give to other contexts that will not benefit us? Why? Because it's a sign and a wonder and it has to start in our hearts. Point number one, it's not about us. Point number two is it carries on. It says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Oh, nice story, disciples. Thanks. That's great. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. That's not your kingdom where there's a kingdom of scarcity and there's a cycle of poverty as you're working out your survivorship. Now, I want to tell you about the kingdom of God in which there is a king on his throne. There is enough resources for every need and every desire. And as you allow the kingdom of God to well up in your life, the kingdom starts expressing itself in every area of your life. And we get pulled into a bigger and bigger story. Jesus comes back to the earth. He's got 40 days. He speaks about one thing, the kingdom of God. Why? Because his kingdom is so different to ours. And he wants to get it in his disciples. And I'm telling you, we like the disciples are slow to learn. And we're stubborn a lot of the time. Why? Because it happens all deep, deep, deep down inside. And so the story continues and we're getting to the good stuff. But here's the thing. Man always defaults to a survivor mindset. And uh, the, the crowd gathers and, and the disciples start defaulting to what they know, which is make a plan. Make a plan. They say this, Jesus, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. It's like, Jesus, we got this worked out. Like you don't know the earth which you created. In this part of the earth, there ain't no corner shop. So we're going to help you. What you need to do is send them away. Jesus looks with eyes of faith as a son knowing the kingdom of God. He looks into their con and says, hey, what are you talking about, guys? But they struggle to see it. Why? Because we default to survivorship. We default to thinking there's not enough, and we default to not trusting who God is. You see, the challenge is who were the crowds? They were the gospel opportunity. In your life and my life, there is redemptive potential in every area of my life. My kids are not just there for my enjoyment, a cuddle in the evening, and maybe kiss in the morning. Hopefully they brush the teeth the night before. That's not what they're there for. So we have a whole bunch of nice memories. My kids are in our world so that I can steward them so that God gets all the glory and they are part of a mission kingdom advancing story. My kids are there for me to steward that Jesus would get all the glory. I'm just a steward of his goodness and his grace. And the challenges in a, in a, in a, when we remain aware of scarcity and lack, we're very seldom aware of the Father's presence. Is that all right? 
So then the miracle starts. And point number four is where does the miracle start? Jesus says to them, he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. The commentators will say if there are about 5,000 men, there's probably about 20,000 people. What does Jesus say to them? He says, actually, you've got something to give. And it's a radical, radical ask. And, and they say, well, come boys, come. Hey, you've got a Twinkie in your thing. You've got this. No, five loaves of bread, two fish. That's what we got. Jesus first asked, give. Oh, but Jesus, we worked really hard. We've walked with you. These guys can go home. We have no home. We've left our family and home. How often and how good are we at self-justification? I can give you a million reasons why I shouldn't give a cent to anyone. But I can give you one unbelievably big one why I should give it all away. And he keeps calling us into a story that is his story. I learned this from a man named Becky Zulu. He was in my life group. I had the privilege of being a part of him getting a job of which I knew the daily rate. And one birthday, I invited Becky to a restaurant that if I'd really thought about it, I probably would have known he couldn't afford because I knew his wage. And Becky arrives and I'm like, where's Becky? Trying to phone him. Becky was an hour and 20 minutes late carrying a Chateau Ghetto cake that I know cost him more than a daily wage. And he didn't have money for a bus, so he walked there, carrying a very fancy cake that cost him more than a full day's wage. And I said, I can't tell you who else was at that dinner. I just remember Becky Zulu. And in a moment, God revealed his character, his kindness, and the fact that he's a generous God, and he calls us to be people who will continue to sow. And this man, who comes from much less than I had available at that time, I was unbelievably humbled by the generosity of a son of God who crossed over all sorts of barriers to reveal something about the Father to me. Will we be the same? Three more points and then I'm done. How does God do this? He says to them, but he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. I was just reading this yesterday. I thought there's something amazing in this. There's a crowd of 20,000 people Jesus gives them a strategy. Some of you need a strategy to get out of the chaos of overwhelming 20,000s into groups of 50. He says, take 20,000, split them into 400 groups of 50. Why? So he can bring, the, bring order into our chaos. Maybe right now you've got chaos in your finances, so you're unable to be a generous person. You're going, Mark, I don't know. Well, start somewhere and get a strategy from God. Break it up and say, God, give me grace for this pack, then this issue, then this. And 50 at a time, We feed 20,000. Will you allow Jesus to give you a strategy? Will you say, actually, it's just too big. It's just too big an issue to be a giver. I mean, I want to be a giver. I've got great intentions. Here's the reality. Great intentions don't change the world. Good ideas don't change the world. People willing to walk on them change the world. Can I just put that picture up, please? I saw this picture on Facebook. And... um, It's a picture of a young man in this church who's got a financial story, and he posted a picture of all his credits card cut off and said this, debt-free. And I can't remember exactly what it says, but we'll get it, the picture up now. It's a picture of his credit card cut off. He just says, actually, debt-free, no more chaos in my story. 
Now, I'm not saying all of you have to go cut up your credit cards. I'm not anti-credit card at all. I'm just anti the chaos if you cannot control it. Package up the chaos in your life and allow Jesus to bring victory after victory. And all of a sudden, you've fed 20,000 people. But here are the two biggest points that get me so fired up. It says this in verse 16, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Who's this? Jesus. Jesus is standing there, 20,000 people. His disciples have gone, a couple of loaves of bread. That one's a bit stale. Two fish. They come to Jesus. Jesus stands there. What does he go? Does he say, hey guys, I mean, seriously? I would have been a little bit like, disciples is the best you could do. What does Jesus go? He says, wow. Lord, will you bless what they have given so that the multitudes can feast on your goodness? See, before there's any blessing, before there's any miracle, there's got to be a giving. It's the picture, it's the story. It's, it might not be a hell of a big giving, but there's got to be some faith, there's got to be some courage, there's got to be, I really trust Jesus. Here's at the essence of this series. You either believe that the Bible says God is, or you don't. You believe Jesus stood there with two, five loaves of bread, two fish, and fed 20,000, or you don't. But if you do, then make decisions to be like him. And if you don't, ask the big question of Jesus to reveal himself to you. But don't stay in the middle. In the middle, we might get to heaven, but in the middle, we won't see miracles on earth. And I want to see miracles on earth. And so I've left the best point for last. I read this, and it's just, it's unbelievable. It says this, then he gave, who's that? Jesus. He gave them the fish and the bread, five bread, two fish, to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Here's the miracle. So obviously Jesus stood there with the five loaves of bread and the two fish and it just multiplied in his hands. Eh? <laughs> guys, can you, guys, can you help? Obviously that's what happened. Eh? No. He takes five loaves and two fish and he puts it in the disciples' hands and the miracle happens in their hands. They break and there's more. They break, and there's more. They break, and there's more. The miracle happens in their hands. The privilege of walking with God in our story, knowing God, is he pulls us into a bigger story. He pulls us into a kingdom of God's story. He says, actually, I want to do miracles in your hands. You see, I can do it. I can drop manna from heaven. He'd done that one already. He could have just had a whole bunch of whoop, poof, food. 20,000 people fed. God could have done that. But this is the New Testament. This is where God says, I put my spirit inside of you. This is the new covenant where it's so much more and so much better. And God says, I'm pulling you into my story, sons and daughters. I want miracles to happen in your hands. Yeah. Come on. In your hands. In my hand. Yeah. And he just, he just happens to paint this picture. He says, all I need you to do is give the little that you got. It's not about giving, it's not about money, it's not about this church needs anything. Honestly, if you cannot find joy and life and freedom in being like God, please don't give a cent. Rather stop. I'm being honest. 
God will provide for his church. But here's what he's offering us. He's saying, do you want to be a part of a miracle-working story where miracles will happen in your hands? And maybe an area that God has given us influence and love for, like an area of the noon and side five, maybe, just maybe, God would do a miracle in our hands as we go and seek to feed people. We actually don't have the resources to feed. And yet God says, will you be a part of the mess? Will you go and will you give what you got to that story with faith and sacrifice and a whole bunch of stuff? And will you allow your life to count into a story more than just fire insurance from heaven one day? Why do I preach this so passionately? Because I have a fervent belief that Christianity is not about buying time so that one day I get to heaven and I scrape into heaven and then I'm going to discover God then. I have a burning passion and desire and belief that we live in an age and in a time where Jesus wants to reveal himself to us and he wants to keep pulling us into a bigger and bigger story. And yet, sometimes we struggle to see it. Why? We can't get ourselves and what we've done out of the way. We struggle to see it. Why? Well, we feel like we've got such little to give. And he says, just give what you can. And let me put something in your hands that will look like a miracle. A miracle. I want to be a part of that. I'll preach that for the end of my days. Why? Because as I read the word of God, I don't see an accountant father. I don't see an economist. I don't see a scarcity resource reality. I see a father who desires to pour the riches of his kingdom over his children. But he's looking for a bit of faith that he can partner. He's looking for a bit of open hands. He's looking for us to believe his word about what his word says about him. It's the gospel call. Whether we're preaching about finances or prayer, it doesn't change. It's God wanting to reveal himself through us to a world that desperately needs him. And we've got to find him in that journey. Can I pray for us? Is that all right? Can can I ask us to stand I know it feels like I've rushed through a little bit, but it's actually been such a rich evening, privileged to stand with different families at this time. But as we close this series, and, and just a simple series called This Is What We Do, Irrational, Illogical Generosity. It doesn't make sense, guys. Five fish and two, five, two bread, five bread loaves and two fish don't make sense to feed 20,000. And yet God did a miracle yeah. in fishermen's hands. What will he do in your hands? What, what does he want to do? He, he doesn't just want your Sundays for your remaining time on earth. He doesn't just want hands raised on Sundays. He wants your everything. Yeah, come on. He's jealous for your everything. Why? Because he wants to reveal himself through you. Good so Jesus, can you lift your hands to him one more time? We lift our hands tonight as a sign. And I pray as your word has preached, will you do miracles in our midst, God? Yeah. Your Bible says, where the preaching of the word, there's a preaching of the word, we'll see signs and wonders. God, I want to see signs and wonders in my life, in the community of this church. Lord, what if you could turn around the economic challenges and desperation of a, of a site five community uh, through this small community called Life Changes, partnering with the churches in the area? What if we dreamed and what if we believed your word that that is who you are, God? I believe, God. I believe, I believe, God. In my, in my smallness sometimes, God, I want to choose to believe that that's who you are and I will throw my everything before your throne. 
and continue to do so, God, so that you get all the glory, all the praise. I pray, God, where hearts and the tensions are burning, I pray, God, we would come under your word and allow what your world reveals about you to be our greatest truth and our highest reality. We give you all the praise and let this be known of this community that this is what we do, irrational generosity, because this is who we worship. We praise you, King. Amen. Amen. Amen.